hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Sorry about it, it's been a bit of a hassle trying to go through and organize when I would be able to find the time to get this episode together and organize my thoughts and try to figure out a way to properly give a send-off to a show that has essentially stuck around with me since close to the beginning of my anime fandom as a whole, and arguably one of the biggest shows if not the biggest, to come out of the 2010s to stretch on to an entire decade's worth of content and notoriety, ups and downs, heroic successes, and tragic failures. But the show I'm going to be talking about today is going to be none other than Attack on Titan. So I guess leading into the rest of it, it's going to be a complete retrospective, a completely spoiler-filled episode recounting essentially what was going on around the time of when Attack on Titan was released back in 2013, and the events related and surrounding it through its 10-year-long journey in the anime. So, at the end of the day, all I can say is that I would definitely give this a recommendation if it's always been daunting, if it's always been something where you didn't necessarily know where the conclusion was going to be, or how it was going to end, or what people were going to be concerning about leading into the 2020s, I still give it a wholehearted thumbs up in terms of anybody trying to get into this, considering how universal of a piece of media it is to essentially have anybody find the opportunity to have a way to enjoy this broad mid-steampunk sort of zombie-esque thriller action drama. It covers so many bases in so many different ways that it's really difficult to kind of narrow it down what is the major strengths that made it the monolith that it is today, but hopefully I'll be able to try and get it done within the time that we have here. So, to begin, I, like many others, basically found this show in 2013 when it was making waves in the midst of a lot of other good pieces of media surrounding it inside its runtime, considering that you were in the middle of Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones was entering into one of its more notable and widely acclaimed ver early seasons, The Walking Dead was finally taking the world by storm in terms of the majority of pieces of media were really trying to hook on to that kind of zombie fanaticism through video games, through television, through movies, and everybody was trying to get a piece of the puzzle to try and make something successful in the middle of that just cavalcade of media. And I wasn't in with Attack on Titan on the ground floor. Odds are, not many people were, because the manga itself that it's based off of started beginning publication back in September 9th of 2009. And so, way back when, especially in that point where it was tough for anybody in the West to acquire any of those manga, it was really tough to find somebody who was able to go through and be extremely excited because we hadn't reached that point of distribution yet, especially in the West where it was kind of like, hey, we now know nearly every popular manga that's going through, especially the ones that are getting anime adaptations, so we can point you to either this bookstore or this online piece to actually have give you the opportunity to read it before the actual adaptation comes out. Not a lot happened. Attack on Titan kind of just burst onto the scene with nobody really having any idea how big it was going to become. Not even the people at Wit Studio had any idea what kind of lightning in a bottle they had on their hands. And to briefly touch on them, they were a studio that was founded just a year before the first season of Attack on Titan came out. This would have been back in June of 2012, and the majority of the people that ended up forming the studio were producers and alumni of another large studio at the time known as Production IG. And so they were able to go through and have their first original work as a film called Hal. And then if there was ever a studio that had a binger bang and a bigger 
liftoff than any other studio did with their first serialized anime TV show, it definitely would have been wit considering just how massive Attack on Titan became. I will admit, it was definitely the strength of the adaptation that rose it to that level because the story itself from the manga was definitely one that had a lot of potential, especially at the time that it hit with all this paraphernalia surrounding a lot of zombie thriller shows and sweeping dramas that were taking place in a medieval setting. It landed itself, surprisingly enough, really well into that pocket that was incredibly popular at the time, especially with Crunchyroll making the rounds and actually having the opportunity to distribute it worldwide. And so the fact that you had these mindless, towering giants called Titans being an existential threat to the last remnants of humanity being able to only hold themselves back behind these three walls in essentially what is just a cage, hoping that they would finally have the opportunity to go beyond the walls and give themselves an opportunity to live more freely and find that freedom that they had been searching for for generations. And it was also a really big piece that one of the earliest memes, especially when it came to um, anime openings, it just probably had one of the strongest anime openings of the decade up to that point. Like, even fighting against a lot of the proper ones back in the 2000s. And so the fact that that was able to make the rounds on the internet a lot quicker than the show was able to do, not only was that able to go through and push people to give the show an opportunity, it did have a way of basically starting out with a incredibly nihilistic and destructive opening that really woke up anybody who was looking to get into this series, considering that... Essentially, the destruction of Shiganshima in that first episode was just brutal and indiscriminate at the gore and the savagery that basically all these mindless titans were able to go through and take apart our main character's hometown, essentially in the blink of an eye, especially with something that they had never seen before, which was a titan that, even though they were all very tall, none of them were as tall as the walls that were able to keep them protected for so long. And the fact that one was able to essentially appear out of nowhere, break down the wall, and essentially doom all of the cities inside the outermost layer to potential titan attacks. It was just not something that anybody was expecting. And neither was I. I was just getting into seasonal anime at the time. At that point, I had watched about three or four seasons and had the opportunity to go through, find ways to get into seasonals and give myself the opportunity to kind of like find something new and find something that I would be legitimately interested in, especially getting into anime at the time. But it was definitely that perfect storm of going through and finding the opportunity to, you know, same deal, teenager, as for some reason, they're, well, not necessarily for some reason, you do need child soldiers, which in this case, teenagers, to go through and rise through the ranks so you have the opportunity to go and find the best way to kill these things. But... In the midst of it, it was a phenomenal way to get you invested leading into the rest of how the story was going to go. And I don't think I jumped into it in the first episode. I was around our anime at the time, and there was a lot of kerfuffle and talk going on about the first episode and how unnecessarily brutal it was. And I saw clips of it, but I didn't necessarily get into the show for another couple of weeks. I think I ended up going into episode four and catching up within those first couple of days 
and seeing the night of the graduation ceremony go through and finding the opportunity to go and get myself invested in these characters. Just in time for the majority of them to get brutally murdered and torn to shreds in the same deal. Because in the first episode, these were all characters and townsfolk that you had probably only seen for half a second before they got blown or blown away or eaten. But in this case, you had four episodes to get to know a lot of these characters inside of the Survey Corps, and for them to just basically go in one by one and get brutalized in the Battle of Trost, it was just something that you really had no expectation of what was going into it. And also one of those pieces where it was kind of like, oh, this is what a lot of people were saying. This was the Game of Thrones of anime. You like all these characters? Ha ha ha. Well, you're not going to have the opportunity to get to know them well enough before they get brutally murdered right in front of you. Considering that there weren't a lot of other things to compare it to at the time. So it was a really low-hanging way to essentially just try to get people invested and to get other people to watch it. So it's just kind of like you can compare it to Game of Thrones, you can compare it to Walking Dead, you can have the opportunity to try and get this into as many people's minds as possible so the rest can move forward. And seeing the next two episodes go by and having the turn that Aaron was a titan this entire time, but most of the pieces of information that you get, especially the potential moles and traitors that were inside the mist of the Survey Corps, it was amazing going back to watch it, how much Isayama was able to foreshadow in just the first couple of chapters, and especially these episodes, with where the story was going to go and how the relationships were going to turn out. The only major thing that I can say immediately watching this week by week, especially for the first season, was that Holy shit. It took us a month in real time to move a boulder. And that definitely took away from the momentum that the series was building up to at the time. So there wasn't a lot that you could do in that sense. But all we... Where it's just, alright, well, we're gonna go back. We're gonna see a lot of Aaron's childhood. Everybody's gonna be savage. And they're gonna try to get him to plug the hole. And hopefully have the opportunity to go through and, and stop another Shiganshima from happening. But then leading into the potential traitor story, it was interesting to see how they were able to, I mean, not necessarily meld out, like, who the other Titan was, where it's just kind of like, oh no, who could the female Titan be with this short blonde hair and feminine stature? And it's just, okay, well, it's not necessarily the mystery, it's just how many people is she going to be able to take out before she's going to be stopped? And seeing more and more of the Survey Corps, seeing Ervin go through and finally pick the proper pieces that he needs to go through and add to the survey cores that would then lead up to the majority of our cast. It was great to see this group of dynamic build up over the course of those couple of weeks. And seeing Levi be the monster that he is, turning into a Beyblade, especially in his fight first a female Titan, everybody was like, who the fuck is this guy? Because we, he was a small, like, bratty upstart who was the right-hand man to Erwin, but nobody essentially knew why. And then he was able to prove that by single-handedly, like, taking on the Titan by himself and going and having the opportunity to use with Mikasa Rescue Eren. And finding out later that they were able to go through and trap Annie inside the Stoas District, the biggest cliffhanger that you could have given, especially to cap off a ridiculous season that reached, like, the, basically that one picture... That one piece of information immediately got so many to go read the manga. Like, there was just, how could you leave it on a cliffhanger like that? Essentially going through and leaving a shot of titans inside the walls was 
more than enough to get people invested and to be curious on when they were able to have the opportunity to watch the next season, which the only pieces that we were able to get for the next four years were a handful of OABs, were a handful of OBAs, but it was just crazy in that sense to try and figure out where the story was going to go from there. And to be fair, it was definitely a long time. I mean, Wit Studio was able to catapult that success and not only make an original film, considering that they did make an original film before Attack on Titan, now in the midst of that, they made their own original series, Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, which they had set up later into it. If they knew that Attack on Titan was going to be as big as it turned out to be, odds are they would have immediately started working on the second season. But by the time that the first season was over, they had already began production on Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, and at that point, they would have had to wait another couple of years to go through. And in the grand scheme of things, four years is not a long time. But for me, especially going into uni and being the impatient teenagers that we were, the fact that we couldn't get any anything else besides like some backstory episodes for four years definitely kind of killed a lot of the momentum like leading in towards the rest of the series and had to give us a good amount of time to wait until the next one came through. Because honestly, the first episode did kind of... Because honestly, the first episode of season two really did just take the piss out of us, considering that at the end of the first season, part of the scouts were sent uh, beyond the wall to another, uh, like, training barracks, and they are just sitting at these benches listlessly waiting some of them like are asleep while sitting up and then they finally get shaken to action and it's like oh my god well well it's been so it feels like it's been ages and it's like yeah no shit um <laughs> but i do remember if the first episode of season one was a way to really shake the foundations and get people invested into this story the first episode of season two did an equally impressive job getting us into this new titan this new antagonist that was leading in towards the rest of it because up until that point we had had Eren who could only scream annie's titan who could only scream the colossal titan which could only scream and then the fucking colossal titan being silent and stoic and just standing upright and so the fact that the beast titan walks in and calmly talks down to one of the better scouts in the region and just talk to him saying, well, this is interesting. So this is how you're able to kill the Titans and move around with such elusiveness. You monkeys have really outdone yourselves. And it's just this calm, ominous, deep voice that is just talking down because nobody had seen Titan talk before. Up until that point and it was terrifying to see this beast walk onto the screen and him being able to just fucking chuck a horse was also incredibly concerning leading in towards what the rest of the stow is going to be because it's all mostly talked about where people always ask what the weakest season of attack on titan was and most people say two with one being a close second and for me, it's close. Honestly, I, I would believe that one of the halves of season four is definitely, I honestly would have said, is the weakest of all the pieces for reasons that we'll get to later. But the second season, to me, 
with the revelations, the pieces of info that we get to learn, the greatest betrayals, which, oddly enough, I wasn't spoiled towards online. Which, technically, yes. But the problem was, is that in between seasons one and two, there was this cartoonish high school drama starring at like as a spin-off starring all the attack on titan characters and so they basically spoiled that Reiner was the colossal and berthold was the co- that reiner was the armored and berthold was the colossal because of the way that they i think it was like a throwaway thing where they went to a festival and they all had these masks on hanging onto the side and fucking annie had her female and then berthold was the had the colossal and it's like wait no that wait come on man that 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 just can't be and i ended up going through the fucking episode descriptions and it was like ah fuck so knowing that for about six months before it still didn't prepare me for how nonchalant one of the biggest reveals of attack on titan was considering that it was in the manga It was the tiniest speech bubble. It was, we were panning away from these characters. And then it's just the tiniest, oh yeah, Berto's the Colossal and we're the uh, armored. And it's the same deal. They're having a conversation in two separate subtitle bubbles. Like we have Hanji and Mikasa talking and then the background is the same deal. It's like, hey, yo, we're the Colossal and the Armored Titan. You need to come with us. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, dude, uh, look, we get it. I'm sorry, but... We're the two Titans, and we need to get the fuck out of here now. And how they thought that would have worked on Eren at the time is fucking beyond me. But it's just that big of a reveal to just casually drop in both the manga and the anime in the same vein was just an insane revelation leading into how the rest of the story was going to go. Especially with how... Sasha and Historia were learning to trust one another and how their relationship was going to turn out. But I think definitely with what turned out to be, in hindsight, something that totally made sense, but at the time was a total cop-out to just save the day, where it was just kind of like, all right, Aaron and Mikasa aren't going to embrace they're not going to kiss. Aaron's going to walk towards a random Titan and punch it in the hand. And then all of the Titans start sticking themselves on Berthold and Ryder. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, that is such an, what seemed like an anticlimactic and aspoly kind of way to finish off an incredibly strong season. For that to just turn out and it's like, oh, Aaron has the coordinates. Like, what the fuck is the coordinate? I guess we're going to stack on another mystery and answer even fewer questions. But yeah, it was definitely unfortunate at that point because now that Wit had gone through two of those seasons and judging by the behind the scenes videos that we'd seen, they were kind of hoping to get the same gap and the same amount of time between seasons two and three. Because they were just incredibly exhausted from the first season's production. And so they had a little bit of a break before they ended up getting into their other ones. And so they were able to complete the second season in the hopes that they were going to say, Hey, we're going to finish this up. We're going to take a bit of a vacation before we go into any project. But none of the producers or any of the higher-ups at the studio were like, No, you're immediately getting into season three. Because we can't have the same thing and we can't have the same detraction and gap between the previous seasons as we did last time and i was like ah shit 
Oh yeah, I guess we also had, uh, what was it? Right, it was Amir, not Sasha. My bad, my bad. Sasha, I was thinking about Sasha considering that we ended up having that episode where Sasha basically goes off and tries to basically 1v2 two smaller titans and another and save a little girl. And so it was kind of like after an incredibly strong first episode, the fact that the next two were going to be dragged out to that point is just kind of like, man, we already done our waiting. Get us to the action and get us there ASAP. So I can totally see people being inconsistent about what season two was and how it was able to go through. But at the end of the day, the bits and pieces that they were able to give us leading into the third season cannot be understated with how well it was able to set up all these pieces that were going to tumble one by one as we finally ended up changing this from more of a thriller zombie survival action story into what was what was kind of crazy, a political drama. So in this gap, which thankfully was not as long as the previous one, considering that we only had to wait a year after the end of the second season uh, for the summer of 2018 for us to get into season three of Attack on Titan. And it was at this point, especially with now that Attack on Titan was back in full swing and we had our series and people who in the gaps between season one and two had gotten into the manga and were reading it monthly and were now ahead of the people who were getting into the show and getting reintroduced to it for the first time, there were bits and pieces of spoilers coming out and leading into the third season, nobody who had read the manga was happy. It was, it's at the end of the day, worked out in the favor of people who were solely just anime watchers because Everybody who talked about the third season into the political drama that it was going to become where Titans were no longer the main threat and it was going to be the humans that were corrupting the inside of the system for their own gain and what the system above them was doing to keep them so stagnant and so passive. And I could agree because thinking back on it, if this was a monthly publication going through this part of the story month by month with just a handful of pages to go through and satiate you like every now and again i would kind of, i would probably get frustrated as well and i wouldn't really be interested in seeing where that part of the story was going to go however that lack of enthusiasm and complete disregard for how this season was going to go totally dropped our expectations down to the floor only to be risen up to, well, I guess I wanted, only to be risen up to, well, I guess heaven because of the opening, but that's way too fucking cliche. But th how much they were able to exceed those expectations completely blew all of our thoughts out of the water. Because I still think that season three of Attack on Titan is probably the best season of the series, and one of the most compelling seasons of television I had seen in the entirety of the 2010s. Getting up there with Game of Thrones season 3 and 4, getting up there with the final season of Breaking Bad, it's just so far above and beyond, and answering almost all the questions that have been laid up to before, and executing the set pieces which such bombast and tragedy that I was gripped to my seat every week. Especially with the chase scene that we get in episode 2, which is probably going to go down as one of the most impressive cuts of animation in the 2010s or in the anime period. Seeing Levi evade and escape the military police 
going through the towns and finally getting the opportunity to go through and make his breakout of the local bar is just such a phenomenal way to start off the series, to start off the season, as well as get us invested considering that now we have so many more enemies than we thought we did before and now everybody's on the run and everybody's a fugitive and we're slowly getting bits and pieces of what the actual hierarchy of this world is, at least inside of human society, and how flawed and corrupt it is. And so every bit and piece of new information that we were able to give in got me more and more invested in the story as it went along. Figuring out the history behind the Titans, the ruler of the walls, the will of the king, just everything leading into the first half of this season did a phenomenal job to set up how they were going to overcome these trials and then go through and survive the overwhelming threats that laid ahead of them. And so in that first half, they were able to conquer these systems holding them back and threatening their lives to now that they were able to finally figure it out, head back to the town where everything began and figure out what the hell was inside of Aaron's basement. Because at that point, since we only ended up getting... I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, it was at the end of the first half, considering that uh, the first half of the third season uh, came out in summer of 2018. And the final episode... After this triumphant victory over the corrupt systems and they were going to head down to Shiganshima and they were going to figure out what was essentially inside of the basement of the grand mystery behind the majority of the Titans and finally have the opportunity to go and combat the colossal and armored and beast titan who were now trying to find the opportunity to kill our heroes and figure out what they wanted to take back in the first place. The end of the first part of that season basically has a really fucked staticky cut to just Eren, Mikasa, and Levi in the middle of a bloodstained battlefield at each other's throats, trying to figure out what the hell went wrong. <laughs> it essentially just left us off an even better cliffhanger than we had in season one. And we had to wait, honestly, not that long. Uh, we only had to wait another six months after that, to get the conclusion of the third season. And those ten episodes were, frankly, insane. Every single conflict and fight that happens over the course of those ten episodes are probably some of the best fights that the series had put up to that point. Not necessarily from a technical standpoint, but just the sacrifices and the decisions that had to be made in order to find any semblance of victory in that kind of an abysmal setting was just some of the hardest choices that any of these characters had to make and in leading into what potential future ramifications they would have even if they made it out alive. And then we finally get to the basement. Six years after we were shown the key in the first episode we have the opportunity to go through and figure out where the key was able to be used and what it was able to unlock. And hilariously enough, it wasn't the fucking door to the basement. It was it was the uh, secret component that um, Grisha had basically stowed upon all those years ago. We knew from bits and pieces of information that there was a life outside the walls. There was... They didn't know how far the island extended, 
or they didn't even know what there was beyond there. And after finally getting the opportunity in those two episodes to figure out how large the world actually was and the ramifications of what they were going to have to do in order to essentially continue to live. And it was one of the most melancholic and depressing things to see, especially with what they were able to accomplish and how many sacrifices they had lost just to get to that point, just to get to the beach. It was so horrible to realize that at this point on, Eren had no way of turning back. And even though everybody's world was that much, and even though everyone's worldview was brought that much bigger to just even get a glimpse of the freedom that they finally thought they had achieved, that was never the case. And so now we had to go and get a greater view of the world. Now, this is where things definitely started getting a little wonky, because Wit finally just passed the torch because there was no way they had, since they already had an idea about where they wanted to go, with their studio, and knowing how much content was left in Attack on Titan, they didn't want to essentially just be the Attack on Titan studio, and they didn't want to spend another five years working on a series that they had already put in just over six years of their time to do so. Like, they had already done series in between Attack on Titan. They had done Rolling Girls, they had done Seraph of the End, Cabinary was their first major, or, well, second major original work. But in between all of that, they were still doing Attack on Titan. They were still doing a good chunk of it. And a lot of the stuff that they were doing were original works that required a lot more time to do so. And then the works that were manga adaptations, say Ancient Magus Bride and the first season of Inland Saga, a lot of that also required time that they really felt like they didn't have. Especially with the next show that they were going to adapt, which is Ranking of Kings, they finally just put their foot down and just said, I mean, this is it. Like, this is all we're going to be able to do. And at the time, a rising studio that I know that everybody has had the opportunity to go through and have their own opinion on, especially with the seasons that we're getting out now, MAPPA ended up taking on the rest of Attack on Titan, which in this case was a 28-episode anime series, as well as two, uh, well, I mean, two additional final chapters, but you could also just call it a movie. So 28 episodes in a movie. And so basically where I fall off and why it kind of detracted, especially from a storytelling standpoint, the one problem that they had, since they had already prepped you up and gave you 60 episodes of these characters over the course of that. So you had two-thirds, we were two-thirds of the way through the story. We had already gotten to know all these characters, and even though a good chunk of them were gone, the fact that we'd now expanded the world of Attack on Titan from this one island, where it is a fight for survival, into just the world. And I understand it's not the entire world, they mostly just focus on Marley, and, like, one nation in particular as they're going through a lot of these peace nation talks and everybody else is talked about in passing. But the only problem with this was I didn't give a shit about the change in studio. I didn't give a shit that the CGI Titans existed. Honestly, if that was 
the reason why people like started falling off and started calling this season dog shit. I don't really know what to say to you. But the fact that we are now going to introduce dozens of new characters over the span of a handful of episodes for us to now have to go and readjust and reacquaint ourselves and try to care about all of these others that our heroes are now, well, heroes, I guess, in some form, our protagonists in this case, in one form or another, the only, one of the only major bad decisions that I found that Isayama made was that you expanded the world too quickly, especially in this final transition, because it was the final part of the story. I don't know if it was the conclusion to season three of the manga when he was thinking about and putting it off or ending it, because he did know where the ending of the story was. But he also was told that, hey, this is a worldwide phenomenon. We need you to do this for another couple years. And so it definitely kind of shows inside of this final season, where now we just have this entire new Marleyan cast that we have to organize and figure out like who, who we're caring about and what the rest of it. But it is a good contrast, especially with Gabby and Aaron, considering that Gabby is such a foil to Aaron with what, with the kind of hatred that she feels with an unknown enemy coming to her hometown and eviscerating everything that she had ever known and loved, and then trying to learn to end this cycle of hatred regardless about how difficult it is to do so with that kind of suffering and hatred in your heart. On top of the fact that she was able to do the same thing that Aaron did, where Aaron ends up going over to Marley for a couple of years, and I can't remember how, I think she ends up getting taken over... Oh, right, she ended up escaping, and she was on the blimp, and they ended up all going back to parodies. Um, so she was able to get a real crash course, one that Aaron was not able to get, otherwise he was just thrown onto the battlefield... Because as soon as he was able to touch Historia's hand and gain access to essentially every potential memory and path that he was able to take in the past and the future, Aaron, who had been radicalized up to that point, could not think of any other way but to essentially destroy as many enemies as he could and keep moving forward to try to keep his friends safe, which in that case is just incredibly hypocritical, but we'll get to that. Because in general, the fourth season was a real interesting way to take the series. But for me, I totally got blindsided because I initially thought that, hey, this was being advertised as the final season of Attack on Titan. This was going to be it. There are going to be 16 episodes. And I thought, hey, because it's 16 episodes and not 12 and not 24... They're totally just going to finish the story here. And, like, that's going to be it. And so it's like, okay, perfect. I end up in between the gaps of uh, 2019 and the winter of 2021, so I guess most of 2020, going back and re-watching uh, the first season. Because I hadn't done so, I hadn't seen it since I had gone back to, since I hadn't really seen it since I was watching it airing seven years ago. So I was able to go all the way back reacquaint myself with the characters, see all the bits and pieces and for, uh, foreshadowing that they were able to go through and give us, and then the 16 episodes happen, and I'm like, there's no fucking way this story's gonna be over uh, by the end of this episode. And so the naming convention starts to begin, and we get 
the final season, part two, coming out nine months after the first uh, 16 episodes. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then, this, and then the exact same thing happens, where we get to episode uh, 28 of the final season, and even then, they're not going to be able to finish this story in that succinct amount of time. And then I'm like, oh shit, wait, the story's still not fucking over? And to top it all off, in the midst of that, in the gaps between season 3 and season 4, the manga ends. And nobody is happy. Everything that I had heard leading up to it, because it was 2019 when the final season of Game of Thrones happened, we already got one shitty medieval fantasy ending to basically go through, and we had been watching that show for nine years at that point. And then a year after that, Attack on Titan ends, and everybody is just in hard copium and just losing their goddamn minds because the last couple of months and the last couple of chapters, Aaron being a bird, Historia with Stockholm Syndrome, Ymir's relationship with Fritz, Armin turning into what seemed like a genocide apologist, everything just kind of ended and it was what everybody who had apparently read the manga thought that this was an equivalent or even worse ending than Game of Thrones. And that was incredibly hard to pull off. But that was definitely also because of the monthly gap between chapters. And they were able to go through and not necessarily re-edit the final one, but with the volumes that Isayama was able to make... And not rewrite, but just recontextualize a lot of the pieces. Like, throw in a couple more conversations that would give a little more context and extend the conversations that would actually allow us to get a more concrete reason onto why the characters were doing the things that they did. It definitely helped. But with the vocal and negative response to those final chapters that came out with Attack on Titan... It kind of got people concerned, like, especially with me. Also, it was a really shitty time in 2021 to be an Attack on Titan fan because people were complaining about the CG, people were complaining about the studio change, people were thinking that Isayama was a closet fascist, and there was no legitimate way to have a constructive conversation or even criticism about what Attack on Titan was doing and because the, the majority of the stuff that was surrounding at that time was just a complete political not stunt but just misinterpretation and misunderstanding towards the rest of it although if what I think is that if you seriously went into this and thought that fascism and because of season four, you thought Isayama was saying that fascism is good and genocide is a proper solution to the problem that we need to have. It's just kind of like, I don't have any words for you because you legitimately need some help. Um, but it was just, there was no real good conversation to be had about any of this season without people just throwing hot takes and complete messes of comments like throughout the internet it was just such a shitty time for people to be talking about this show so to put it likely so to put the 
timeline of the final season lightly, it was a bit of a mess. But the story that was able to unfold, especially with what the stakes were and how the rest of the story was going to play out as the season went along and into the final season part two, the pieces that were a little jumbled in the first half finally started to come together and still have a better idea about what the endgame was and how the majority of this story was going to play out, which thankfully definitely got a lot better, especially with how a lot of the conflicts were resolved and how the majority of these new characters collided and started making more choices based on humanity rather than the biases and the teachings that had been ingrained in them since birth, especially when it came to the Marlians. It was just that the fourth season, final season, part one and part two, like, holy shit, oh, we're gonna, <laughs> it's gonna get longer, uh, was a bit jumbled, especially with how large Isayama made his world, but what they were, what Mappa was still able to accomplish with this, it was just a still phenomenal story, even with all the conflicting pieces of information, as well as time, travel, observation, time paths, it, it's still like a mystery to this day, but it's just kind of, it still was able to work in the context of the story, and I'm kind of glad to see how they were able to take it and how they were able to bend that kind of story in that kind of way. And so then we get to Attack on Titan, the final season, the final chapters, part one, which ended up coming out in March earlier this year, which, to be fair, I probably should have gone back and re-watched it before watching the final chapter part two, because it was definitely something, even though I knew where they were going and what the plan was and what they had to accomplish, it still would have filled me in on a little bit more of the stuff that I had only missed about seven months prior. And I'm going to be completely honest, they did a damn good job finding a way to end this in a satisfying enough way to tie up all the loose ends, even though those ends were like burnt and frayed and kind of not in the best condition. They were still able to take this story with Isayama's help and construct it into something that now that it's finally over, it's going to be talked about and odds are it will go down as a classic because it will be a story and a show that people will be recommending for years to come. Although I do think the ceremonial openings that they made for these two final chapters were probably like some of the weakest that they had because it was just a literal uh, slideshow about the previous events that had happened leading up to this story. So I can't necessarily give that the benefit of the doubt. The, the, the opening was probably the weakest part. Although on that note, trying to figure out what my favorite opening is, that's kind of a good question, since that would probably be... Yeah, I'm still going to have to go with the first one. I mean, it was definitely something that was able to help catapult the show to that extent and like give it more notoriety than the rest of it. I would probably say the two close seconds would go to... The Rumbling, and then also My War, which was probably one of the more experimental versions of it, because the only thing that could kind of relate to that would have probably been the first opening of Season 3, like the very soft, somber Red Swan thing, where you're kind of just... think Your innocence is lost, your basic goal... I mean, basic goal, I'm going to kill all the Titans. That basic goal has now been so twisted and 
reformed, especially with now you have to not only worry about the Titans themselves, but the people on top of that was, it was a good way to kind of show that difference and that change. And the style of my war is definitely probably one of the more ones that I would go back to as something I can point to being more experimental, because it's kind of like Sasageo, uh, Subasa, like those two for the second and third seasons were both still really good, but just kind of like weaker versions of the first. So there's not necessarily a lot that I can go to and talk towards that. But at the end of the day, outside of the final chapter openings, every single one of them is a banger, and I would definitely recommend giving each of those a listen if you haven't gone back and revisited in a couple of years. It's just kind of like, yeah, especially for me in the first one, it does kind of teleport me back to that time in 2013 where this was emerging as one of the largest shows of its time and trying to carry the hype as far as it possibly could. But definitely heading back to what these final two chapters were, I... Real, I think Flock was probably one of the best heels that you can find inside of anime, considering that you knew where he came from and that kind of, you know, fascist supportist mentality of somebody who they believe is trying to do something greater than themselves, but then not necessarily giving a shit about anything else and then losing all of the empathy that they used to have and just forwarding the goals of the one person that they truly believe can make a difference, even though it is such a narrow-minded and tunneled vision of that kind of obedience. And it was, But the way where he could be sly, he could be wearing a shit-eating grin, he could be helping out and just tinkering with things in the background to legitimately make them not only a physical, but a tactical and a mental threat as well, depending on which person would go through and face them. So, and considering, like, how much shit he was able to accomplish in Eren's name, it was definitely impressive on that end, on how he was able to consistently be a thorn in the side of our protagonists, and it was just impressive to the lengths that he would do to be just a shitheel towards our main cast. But yes, the saw, the conversation between the characters that we were able to get in parts of at least the final season leading up to the chapters, especially with the debates that they were having inside the forest about what kind of decisions and what kind of people they'd followed led them to where they were. And it was definitely those kinds of pieces, especially with some of those pieces being incredibly difficult to manage and so easily would have fallen apart, especially with everything related to the paths. That is probably the one that I probably won't give them the benefit towards, but how they were able to create a pseudo-time-traveling piece of the Titan's character and its own power, and still give it a reason and a function that essentially propelled the story into the direction that they were trying to go, especially with how Eren perceived it, what it did to lead him to the kind of madness that he was trying to abstain away from, and then leading it to a point to give his younger self the motivation to do the things that he needed to do to get to where he was. And the fact that he was such a slave to that own cycle of thinking and his own decisions, it definitely kind of brought him to a point where it's just, it doesn't really matter if he had the powers that he got to that point, or if he didn't, he couldn't conceptualize another way for things to be other than this. 
and it was definitely and call him an idiot even though he does so himself it's just something that always felt inevitable at that time especially when somebody dictated by that fear and that anger is making themselves take a decision that they that should be changeable that should be able to be pushed in another direction but because they are abstained and just accepting of that horrible fate that there's no other way that they can take it and it's just it was a really good way how they were able to depict the change of people inside a paradise and how they started twisting themselves into that way because it is a really powerful thing to kind of depict the way people change and how they go through and care about one another and what they're able to do and the actions that they're able to accomplish in the name of those people that they care about and what happens when those that they love are twisted and corrupted by that fear makes them so much more easier to control and fear what they are able to do once they are now capable of that change. And that's something that can be abused by other people, that can be abused by systems of power, governments, singular focuses and ideologies and minds and how they're able to go through. And seeing the people who were oppressed so long twist that fear and that hatred into something that despises the entire world besides them, which in a sense, was a very terrifying way as to seeing that change and just not resigning yourself to the point where it's just people can be better, but you can also understand why they would feel that way. The series itself is just such an indi it's such a dire indictment of people into the capacity of love and destruction that they are simultaneously able to hold. And humanity in itself is a double-edged sword. Our capacity to love and create is equally is equal only to our ability to hate and destroy. And so having that opportunity to see it all come at a head, having everybody try to go through their last stand, I was kind of hoping that there would be a few more deaths, considering that mostly all we got was uh, Hanji and Eren. I was expecting it to go either way. Like, they could somehow let Eren live in a different form or just completely kill him outright, but I could totally see, like, how that was the path and how that was something that had to happen in order to not only do that, but in order to convince Ymir to abandon her curse to love and to abandon that way to no longer have the ability to just curse others and for Titans and those kinds of weapons to finally be able to just not have the opportunity to exist and hurt other people. Although there were those moments, especially just one of the worst ones where it's just a good chunk of our cast is on the ground, and they're about to legitimately get forced to transform into Titans, and you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. I mean, between Jean and Connie, and seeing them just silently resign themselves to the inevitable fate that they see going forward and it's kind of like man we could have been fucking military police and it's like fuck you're right and it was that was probably like one of the like biggest gun punches seeing everybody on the ground being forced to not only turn into titans but to fight against 
the people that they care about so much. And also with Reiner just being, when will my fucking torment end? It was just the fact that he was also being potentially murdered by his own mother. Where, I I will admit, Reiner making the shitty decisions that he did with the limited amount of resources and people and sanity that he had, especially with how he grew up with, the fact that Reiner was able to somehow live towards the end of this, but at the end of the day, that is probably the greatest punishment that they could give someone like Ryder is like, no, you are going to be forced to live through all of the actions and the mistakes that you made and try to become and to try and make a better world despite those choices that you make. Although I do fucking hate the fact that he still has a horrifically one-sided crush on Historia. Like that, that letter sniff was so fucking unnecessary. <laughs> And kind of making that a really interesting just inverse of what returning to that island means years later after the fact, where now Paradis is this radicalized form of people that even that they don't really know. I don't necessarily know how much of the populace knows what essentially became of the world, but the fact that they are still rabid with anger and hunger for power that most of the same crew that went over to Paradis as Marlians and as soldiers to try to incite chaos and recover Aaron and the Coordinate, to now be envoys of peace, to try and search for a better solution inside of a better world, was like a really cool way to end the group's dynamic, especially with the new sort of new crew that they are going to be bringing with themselves in order to try to bring about some new positive change in future for, towards the rest of it. But yeah, I'm legitimately surprised that uh, Connie was able to make it through this entire thing. I'm really hoping his mom was okay at the end of the day. Jean also being able to survive the rest of this to potentially get Misaka, or not Misaka, Mikasa in the end is just so hilarious but key and the man really deserves somewhat of a happy ending and I really appreciate that he's able to go through. Um, really hoping for Armin and Annie's like happiness considering that they're probably the only two people like left where it's just they still have tragedies but they still have people that love them dearly and they will be able to bring that forward. Uh, but Mikasa just... Holding on to Eren's memory, even though it's the harder thing to do rather than to just abandon him and forget, was a strong way to conclude it. I kind of wish that she had a little bit more agency towards the final season and the final chapters because she's, for some reason, the princess of an island nation close or, or like far off to the rest of it. It's like, okay, hi, Japan. It's <laughs> like, nice for you to insert yourself into this uh, fantasy series, but... She had her moments to be badass, but unfortunately that was kind of all she was. She was just a pawn to be thrown in a relationship with Eren and have that hinge on her just killing him in the end was just, I don't know, it was really wish that she was able to do a little bit more inside of the series because apparently she had a little bit more sass and a little bit more character in the manga, but eh, what can you do? And then seeing Eren's ultimate fate, I think the biggest... I was, I was glad to see a good chunk, not necessarily of his reason, but kind of just what his headspace was like, especially going towards the rest of it. Because after he was able to kiss Historia, or, well, kiss her on the hand, make contact with a member of the royal family to unlock his ability to read the paths between past, present, and future, it was... 
I could definitely see that being the ultimate disappointment for anybody inside of that headspace, believing that trying to escape these walls to find freedom and whatever that would mean towards him, especially after living inside of that cage for so long, only after having the opportunity to get the key to unlock the cage and head out to the island, is he met with the realization that there is no grand horizon and adventure and new land to explore to try and find something new and exciting inside of his life, but to only be reminded that, oh, there's it's just nothing but more people out in the world, out past the ocean, beyond to new lands. And it's just as, just as, if not fucking worse, considering how people mistreat each other all throughout across the world, and that his biggest disappointment was when he realized that humanity was also outside of the walls, and that it was just the same old song and dance, and then there was nothing that he could do to try and remedy that, that whatever grand revelation and excitement and new horizon to explore and change was just more of the same, more suffering, more hurt, more distrust. It was definitely something that, on top of being able to read what the past and the future was going to bring him, just definitely broke him. And seeing how his mentality and his mind was trying to grapple with the fact that he had the opportunity to talk with everybody in the past and to redirect something and to try to make it into a different future, but that he was still locked in to do so. To, like, we didn't need the... I, I understand why they had to put in that line where it's just, I could have told Berthold to stop. So at the end of the day, I forced that Titan to eat my mom so I could become radicalized and become an angry, vindictive, and just driven person towards that goal was kind of like it was definitely unnecessary although i do admit that i could kind of see why people were definitely angry in terms of when the manga was coming up for this the monthly chapter release schedule the fact that armin was a genocide apologist like because of that line but it was definitely better to see how the rest of that conversation went especially with how they were able to reconcile and try to figure out where it was going to, where it's just, okay, thank you for trying to save us, but we'll fucking see each other in hell. Like, there is no way that either of us is going to get out of this, like, unscathed. And transitioning that blue ocean that once filled their eyes and their imaginations with wonder, turning into a sea of blood that then represents the 80% of humanity that just died in the rumbling. Yeah, it, that was a pretty decent uh, sight to kind of, like, impart the grand scale of destruction of what actually happened because of it although at the end of the day seeing Aaron like actually break down seeing like no I want to fucking be causing a pine after me for another hundred years it's like shut the fuck up <laughs> you you bitch you stupid moron like unbelievable I'm so glad that Armin was able to punch him for that it was just so fucking stupid even even stupider to the fact that it was so hilarious that potentially Aaron was just reincarnated as a bird to keep the scarf on for Mikasa. It was just like, oh, it was, oh, a couple of decisions there were just kind of ridiculous. Although, yeah, leading in towards that kind of a finale, at the end of the day, I was still satisfied. Especially considering that the expectations and the perspectives of the manga viewers were basically setting our expectations 
at the floor. So there's no potential way for us to necessarily be that disappointed, especially when we've already, like literally four years ago, we had Game of Thrones. So at the end of the day, for Attack on Titan, this series as a whole is something that I can just overwhelmingly recommend to anybody that is invested in this kind of a story where it's just large twists, grand scales of action, little bit of steampunk, little bit of medieval fantasy, little bit of uh, modern concepts that are like built into a story and a world like this. It was definitely something that at the end of the day, do I regret waiting and consuming this story as a whole? Absolutely not. I I legitimately love this series and having it being there for the rest of the way and for the majority of my anime fandom, this being a core piece and series and how it was able to evolve and change over time, even with the anime community as a whole, I honestly think that this is going to be going down as one of the better series, especially with one as long-standing and with such a reputation as this. And I'm just glad that at the end of the day, through this journey and through this series, over a run of 10 years, that I was able to be satisfied and that I was able to see it be concluded and run all the way through. So I'm glad for you to stick around this long to kind of go over this retrospective. I would definitely like to see like what other people thought about it, considering that in hindsight, I probably should have gone back and rewatched uh, the first chapter towards the rest of it. But considering the rewatches that I was able to go through back for the first three seasons, season four, which is now two years, well, more like closer to three years outside of when this episode is going to be out. It was definitely a journey. I And it's something that I really do feel like I should go back and revisit every now and again. But considering with what they were able to accomplish and how this was able to catapult Wit Studio into the competent and well-sought-after and well-respected piece of the industry as a whole, I'm glad that at the end of the day they were able to go through and succeed in that endeavor. And even though they're not necessarily known as the Attack on Titan studio and that they've been able to grow beyond that with all of the projects that they've been creating since then, I'm just glad that this was the adaptation that they were able to create and enhance through every means that they were able to use at their disposal. And for a show to con and for a show to keep that consistency, even over the course of ten years, damn, that is sure an impressive way to conclude a monolith such as this. Well, thanks for sticking around. Cheers. Have a good one. Thank you.